paraphrasing the most uh, prayed prayer ever prayed in human history. God, we pray, our Father, we pray that you today would have your way. Uh, in everyone that's open and willing and receptive, God, have your way today. Uh, we pray that, Lord, we pray for change. And those who are ready for it, Lord, I pray that, God, that your spirit would tap into their willingness. For those who are closed off, Lord, I pray that you would persuade their reluctance in the power of your spirit to make changes today, needed changes in every life. Uh, God, have your way. Our Father, have your way. In Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As you are, I want to begin today with a question, and the question is this. What's the difference, think with me, what's the difference between a relationships that can stand the test of time, that can weather the worst storms, that can heal from the deepest wounds and last a lifetime, and those relationships that, are, that don't make it, they die? Any, any guesses? Uh, a hint, it has nothing to do whether you're an extrovert or introvert, if you're shy or outgoing, or if you feel uh, attractive or intelligent or popular or talented or successful. None of that determines the difference in the relationships, those that, that go and give life and those that die and wither away. Any guesses on what it could be? It's, uh, we're going to answer it in just a moment, cliffhanger, but it's the part of the prayer that we're going to talk about today. We're in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, if you have a Bible and you want to, there's really uh, not a need. I'm not going to hoodwink anybody, but if you don't trust me, if you greet the preacher with any level of suspicion, then you may need to turn in there. But most of us know it. We've probably acknowledged that every week. Most of us know this, this prayer, and we pretty much just sang it. Uh, but here's uh, the passage that I want us to look at first, sort of in recap. Matthew chapter 6, 9 to 10. We're going line by line, verse by verse. The original language, it was 57 words given to us that Jesus gave when the disciples came. And what did they ask him? Talk back to me. They said, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus gives uh, this prayer. And it started this, pray then like this. By, by the way, there was a contrast. Don't pray like the hypocrites. They pray to be seen by others. Don't pray like the pagans. They think that they'll be heard from their many words. Y'all ever pray with someone in public, a small group or something, and they just keep praying? And you're like, man, I don't know. Pastor RG said that may not be good, bro. We need to talk after group because you just, you know, your prayers. Like have your devotion at home quietly, not in front of us. You may want to confront them. So we're giving you, I'm giving you, I'm arming you with that weapon. Jesus said, don't pray like the hypocrites. Don't pray like the pagans, but instead pray this way. Go into your room in secret and pray to your father, an unseen father. Uh, Faith seems preposterous at times, doesn't it? There, you believe in a God that's not visible, tangible, or audible. You're praying to him. You don't see him, but you're actually thinking by faith that he's going to hear your prayers and he's going to reward you. That's the promise that Jesus makes. He summons us to live this way. All right, pray then like this. After the how not to's, he says, pray this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're, I think we've said this to you in one of the weeks that Jesus, he doesn't say start your prayer this way with, here's what I need. Instead, he says, come to God and, and start with, here's who you are. Not, here's what I need, but here's who God is. And listen, if you let that get in you, if that gets into your heart, if that like permeates your bloodstream and probes you, and if you get, if that just affects you, then it'll change the way you pray. 
And some of those needs, I'm stepping on to- toes early here, but some of your needs that, you just, that drove you to prayer uh, are going to seem petty in the end. And your prayers are going to change. Y'all know that verse Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself with the Lord and give you desires of your heart. I used to think that means smile up at heaven and God gives you what you want. And I tried that, it don't work. I don't, I delight yourself with the Lord, hey God, yay. Give me, and then I had all these unfulfilled desires, you know, I didn't get this, didn't get that. And that's not what that passage means. Delight yourself in the Lord means kingdom come, will be done. You begin to change how you see God. And the problem with us is that our God is too small. And we want a manageable deity. We want a God that serves our needs. But start your prayer not with what you need, but who God is. And we mentioned that there's um, a, a, a pronoun shift in this prayer. We, we start with our Father, but then it's your kingdom, your name, your will. And then the shift to our needs. Give us our, our daily bread. And we see the verbs here. Think about it. Not just a a pronoun shift here, but also it's in the imperative mood. If we could put that up, pray and deliver and such. It's the next slide. There you go. Give us this day our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. The the verbs there are uh, bolded. They're highlighted. And think about this. The, The imperative mood is when you are giving a command or you are you're pleading it's a, a plaintive cry it's heartfelt a heartfelt complaint we had friends come over uh, not too long ago and they had a three-year-old little girl and everything she said to me and everybody was in the imperative mode give me this and give me that and do this and do this and we were so glad to have them over and even more glad to see them leave but the imperative mode is a, a, a lot of orders and honestly I'm poking at a three-year-old, but I got it in me. You got it in you? Just the imperative mode. So w- when you speak in the imperative mode, you're either given a command, given orders, or you're pouring out your heart. It's a plea. It's a, it's, a, it's a cry. And so I don't think Jesus is telling us to give God orders. I do think Jesus is telling us to come to our Father with boldness, with a sense of urgency, uh, even desperation. Bring that to the Father. That's the imperative mode, and that's what we see here in Jesus. And so we come today to the part of our prayer that I want us to talk about. And look, I've been praying about this all week. I don't know if the sermon is going to be good. I hope it's clear. It may not be good on my end, but I hope the Spirit works in some of you because this just is such a tremendous need. Uh, We're going to talk about forgiveness, where Jesus said this part of the prayer, if your Bibles are open, you'll see it, If not, you may know it by heart, but forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. So I want to say a few things today about forgiveness. Um, Let me ask you this before I do. How many of you think life is difficult? If, you know, if you were driving by someone, we got a, anybody, anybody think life is difficult and hoping to see more hands than that. But uh, if you drove by a bumper sticker that said, not, nothing about love Jesus, but if it said life is difficult, honk if you think it is. You know, honk if you think life is difficult. Uh, would you honk your horn? Um, listen, maybe some of you are in a place where things are rolling smooth. Uh, but I, I hear a lot of confession. I think I have it in my own psyche at times. When everything's going well, right? Uh, when the cotton's growing and the catfish are biting and mama's smiling and your teeth are bright and all the bills are paid. Everything's going your way. Like you're waiting on, what's the expression? You're waiting on the other shoe to drop. If so, anybody's doing really well, like you're waiting on the, why? Because life is difficult. 
So if we can agree, look, we have people that aren't believers here today. You're so welcome. We have people tuning in from home. You're skeptical about faith and God in church. Hey, everybody's welcome. I hope we'll all hear with open hearts and minds today. But here's what we have in common that we all can really agree on is that life is difficult. But here's the thing. Hear me today. You make it more difficult if you carry guilt and resentment. And almost every counseling appointment, and y'all, y'all know I talk to people, and I have pastors, and I sit on a couch, if you will, whether in person or on the phone, to my pastors, my counselors, but everybody needs it. I hope you, I hope you live in community where you live out to one another's, and I hope you, if you can, you go see someone and unpack your suitcase, lower your drawbridge, let somebody in to help you process life. But so much of counseling is about guilt and resentment. So here's what I want to say. It's point number one today about these two. They can be monsters. When you are forgiven, your guilt is gone. And when you forgive others, your resentment is removed. There's an answer. There's an antidote that God gives us. And we're not designed, one of my hobbies, a couple of times a year, I like to go hiking. I like to go backpacking. The older I get, the harder it is. But we go to fun places, like some of you, some of you do this a lot more than me. Your stories are better than mine. But every hiking story involves a mountain and a canyon and some woods or something, whether it's in the east or the west or central part of the United States, wherever it is. And it involves trying to pack light trying to carry everything you need. It's a very dynamic tension. Carry everything you need, but not anything more, not an ounce of, of pounds that you don't need, not, not, not an ounce of anything you don't need, so that, what, you don't want to carry something you're not meant to carry. It'll make the trip harder, and guilt and resentment are that way. The Scripture tells us that God is a forgiving God. If you believe that, we don't do this a lot around here, but if you believe that, say amen out loud. God is a forgiving God. A lot of amens, okay? One more time, maybe it can be more hearty. If you believe God is a forgiving God, say amen. Amen. All right. Now, do you, do you believe that, believe that? Because that was quite thunderous today. But how many of us go and then quietly, we hear the voices of condemnation. And Romans 8, 1 says, therefore, therefore what? Therefore, because all that Jesus has done for you, not what you did last night, I know what you did last summer, by the way. But not what you did last night. Not what you did earlier this week. Not the worst, grossest sin about you. Not the recurring sin. Hebrews, let us lay aside the sin that so easily encumbers us. It weighs us down. Not even that sin. That sin for you is probably different than me. I got one or two. You got one or 50. But like we all have them, right? We all have those things, those sins that hold us back. And the scripture says, because of what Jesus has done, not what you have done, not your earning, not your achievement, not your performance, but because of what Jesus has done, that's freeing, isn't it? Because of that, there's therefore now no more condemnation. So if you heartedly said to the preacher today, kind of because I forced you, right? But hey, say amen, then think about it. Do you say amen when you leave or do you let the enemy and the voices of condemnation get the best of you? Our God is a forgiving God. And when you are forgiven and you know that you're forgiven outside of church, your guilt is gone. And when you forgive others, resentment is removed. I ask this question quite a bit when we live contrary to Jesus' teaching. But if you're holding resentment, harboring a grudge, nursing bitterness, how's that working for you? How is that weight that you're carrying? 
Does it deplete your spiritual life and vitality? Is it robbing you of joy? Is it affecting your relationships? You ever find yourself with someone, but you're being eaten up by the resentment that you hold towards somebody else? The second thing I want to say about forgiveness is this idea, because sin is a universal problem, forgiveness is a universal need. Hey, let's just all get level here at the foot of the cross. Look at Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 9. It says, it says this. It says, who can say I have kept my heart pure? I am clean and without sin. Can anybody say that today? Just raise your hand. In fact, come on up front here with me. Uh, if you're at home, drive here. We'll wait. Come on up. Stand on the stage with me. And then I'll, I'll, get, I'll sit on the front row and just let you stand all alone. Nobody could say that. Nobody would want to say that. If you did it, I'm being preposterous, of course, but if you did it, that in of itself would be a lack of purity, a lack of cleanliness, a lack of godliness. Who can say? None of us. None of us can say it. So all of us share that. Isn't that kind of a cool thing? Like, sin's not a cool thing. But isn't it a cool thing that we have that in common? That we don't have to pretend, we don't have to posture, we don't have to uh, waste energy and effort trying to impress people that we don't have to do that but we can we can say together we can say hey this is the, sin is a, it's, it's a universal problem i got that problem and you got that problem and so forgiveness is a universal need there's a, a psalm that i love it's the 51st psalm and it's a psalm that i when i'm sitting with a, a brother and he's uh, confessing a sin particularly if it's a, a difficult sin and uh, he's feeling the weight of that guilt. He's carrying that. Then I take him to Psalm 32. I take him to Psalm 51. I love Psalm 51 in particular. It says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. In other words, you ain't lost your salvation, but you lost the joy of your salvation. Think of, uh, I learned this from another preacher, but think, about, think of it this way. Think, picture the, the yellow lines on a road. And there is the, the, the double lines, and they, they don't move. They're just solid double lines. And then there's that other line next to that double line. It's yellow, but it's broken. And the, the, the double, the solid yellow line, if you're in Christ, the relationship is always there. He, he is always your heavenly father. Don't take me up on this, but you could go out there today and commit an egregious sin. He still loves you. He's your heavenly father. The relationship that's not the application point part of the sermon. But it, it, he loves you all the more. He loves you, and it's not going to change because that's your relationship. That's the beauty of the gospel. But that broken line is our fellowship. And have you noticed that fellowship gets out of whack? It, it gets broken. And that's what sin does. And this uh, psalmist had sinned. And by the way, not all sins are the same. It's, it's, there's, it's different. To, there's some bad theology out there. And it's different to say, uh, honey, I, I forgot your birthday. And honey, I've been unfaithful. Sin carries different weight. I think we know that. It needs to be said. But all sin adds up. Everybody sins. Sin affects all of us and every part of us. Read Romans and then look at your life. Contemplate it and see if it ain't preaching the truth. But that, that yellow line, the one that gets broken, is your fellowship with God. And sometimes you and I need to pray. Guilt can do that to me. My sin. Now, guilt points me to confession and repentance, those twin gifts that God gives. And the psalmist prayed. He said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And I love that. I shopped this morning. You can go into any grocery store down the aisle of dish soap, and you can find joy. Some of y'all need to go shopping for some joy. 
Y'all been looking and you ain't finding. You're in the wrong aisle or something. You're walking down aisles that don't have joy. But I can, I can show you. I can, I can buy you some joy. You come with me. And, you know, this dishwashing uh, soap is a reminder uh, just to pray for me. Susan all the time is getting on to me for doing so many chores around the house. Just constantly cleaning and taking care of everything. She says, Robert, let me do some of this some of the time. But joy, man, I love it. Isn't it cool? Isn't that good marketing? Like people make a lot of money uh, doing this kind of stuff. And joy, like they, there's dawn and gain, and those aren't bad, but joy. I'm buying joy. Like joy is what's missing. Restore to me the joy. And I love the association, like for real. The association is clean. There's something dirty. You need it. It needs to be washed. It needs to be washed routinely, repeatedly. It needs, to, it needs to get in there and get out the stains in order that it will be clean. Because I don't want you coming over to my house and seeing dirty dishes. I got it, babe. I can take care of everything. Uh, I don't want to go. I don't Look, I'm a germ people, a person. I don't want to come to your house and eat dirty stuff. And food, your, your good food on dirty stuff. But joy is a need for all of us, and I love the parallel because it's this idea of we need to be cleansed. And when we are, when guilt is weighing on us, Father, forgive us. When that guilt is weighing heavy on us, we need the joy to be restored. We need God to cleanse us. And listen, let him speak to you. And I have found when I pray that prayer, when I'm feeling guilty, and I'm guilty because I've done something or I hadn't done something, and God's working on me. Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my thoughts. Know my anxious thoughts. See what's in me. God already sees what's in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. In other words, cleanse me. We find this in Ephesians, the, the, um, the metaphor of a soap. What, Titus chapter 3, wash us, regenerate us. And, and we need that because sin is a universal problem. Forgiveness is a universal need. Now, there's a difference I want to say. There's a difference, because we started this with a question about relationships. But there's a difference between uh, wanting to get out of something and wanting to be forgiven. A few years back, I was at a, a pastor's retreat. Um, I was with other pastors who felt called by God to retreat. And we were together hanging out, and one of the guys uh, and I, we went fishing. I'm not much of a fisherman. We got on a, a boat. It was a rowboat, and we went out. We had a couple of poles, and we put out a line, and we were fishing, and a boat with a motor, a bigger boat with a fast motor, pulls up and asks us how we were doing, and we said, not well. Of course, we're pastors. We're thinking of stories of Jesus and Peter and the disciples on the water, and we thought he would tell us to cast our net on the other side, and that didn't happen, but we said, well, we're not doing good out here, and, he, and uh, we found out, uh, come to find out, he's the game warden, and we said, you know, we, we don't mean any harm. We're putting these fish back, the small fish that we caught we're going to put them back no big deal here and I, no, no fooling y'all he 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 towed us back to land and, and like he's got a big boat he's got a motor we're like are we going to try to outrow him or something like he towed us back and he fined us he didn't let us he didn't even let us row our boat to shore but he he gave us a fine and listen that day I didn't really feel that guilty I didn't feel like I'd done anything too bad wrong I, I was just wanting to get out of trouble honestly I know I'm confessing sin in front of all of y'all. But like, I just, I just want to get out of trouble. I didn't feel bad about the situation. Like God's green earth, right? I'm with a friend. It's just what we're catching fish. It's not his fish, you know, blah, 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 blah. I just want to get out of trouble. But think back. Early in our marriage, my marriage to Susan, it was obvious how much we loved each other. 
But I noticed when, when she would hurt me or I would hurt her that I, would, I had a tendency from time to time, not all the time, but it was a little subtle, but I would withdraw. And I have the spiritual gift of withdrawal, sulking, and pouting. Anybody have that? Like, I don't want to be angry at her. She's gorgeous, and she's tender, and she's sweet. I don't want to physically do anything or, or raise my voice, but I would just withdraw, and I knew in my withdrawal that I was inflicting pain. And I had to grow up. Anybody out there newlywed? You learning? Get help. Do it early. Anybody been married 20, 30 years? Get, keep getting help. We have marriage checkups. Keep getting help. Get in a small group and walk with people and find a person you can trust. But I needed to get help. And listen, here's the thing. I knew I had hurt her and it wasn't a good trade in me. And it was early on I envisioned, hey, I'm going to be a preacher. I'm going to stand up in front of people and tell them some things about how to live. And part of that will be how to have relationships that honor Christ and good marriages. I kind of need to get this right in my own life. Withdrawal and pouting and sulking is not a good thing. And can I tell you, I wouldn't want to get out of trouble. I wanted to be forgiven. And so I wanted to do the work, right, because I had hurt her, because I was dishonoring God and even hurting myself. I wanted to do the hard work of truth-telling, hard conversations, and walking together, learning about our tendencies and how we can do better. I wanted to be forgiven. Let me say it again. There's a big difference between wanting to get out of trouble and wanting to be forgiven. When you want to be forgiven, here's the big thing about it all. You see that sin in your life as God sees it. And so how you confess, how you come to him, how you appropriate his forgiveness, how you exhale, oh, God, I did wrong again. God, I need you. This is, here's where I'm falling short. But then you inhale because you need oxygen. You need his spirit to indwell you. Uh, I say this often, but our marriage, and yours too, if you are married or will be one day, it's not lived out on a romantic balcony. It's lived on a spiritual battlefield. And you need the Holy Spirit to fill you, to produce love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. So to exhale that and to inhale that, it's the key. It is the key. A, a third thing I want to say about confession or about um, forgiveness is this. This is a dangerous prayer. This is the part of the prayer that can really, really be dangerous. Now, it was dangerous to give you history, culture, and context. It was dangerous for Jesus. Why? Any guesses? It was dangerous for Jesus because, um, because he was basically taking a sacrificial system of righteousness, a system that was legitimate, a system that was a path for people, it involved going to the temple and at the right time and offering the right kind of sacrifice. And Jesus comes along and says, you know, you can just talk to God. You know, you can just say a few words. Now, I don't want to reduce it to just saying a few words. But Jesus brings controversy. Remember they took him to the cross. Remember he, he lived in a real world. There was the Romans and the Gentiles and the pagans and there, there was lots of people around him and they, they led him to the cross because of the way he lived and the way he taught and how it was against the power structures of the day and the systemat systematic injustices of the day. We can learn a lot from Jesus looking at America in 2021 and moving forward. But Jesus said, you don't have to do this. You don't know. Jesus went to the temple, Luke chapter 5. He went to the temple, as was his custom. Come to church. Come back to church. Come to church regularly. Jesus did. 
But he's saying you don't have to go to a place. You don't have to bring a certain kind of gift. You don't have to do it at the right time. You don't have to follow A to Z. You can talk to God. You can talk to him. And so it was dangerous for Jesus because it was controversial. But it's dangerous for us because it's conditional. What's the condition? I had someone that wasn't long ago. He visited with me behind the wall here in my, in my office. And I could tell that he was carrying uh, some resentment in his life. And, and uh, there was a, a, re- a relationship that wasn't reconciled. But he, he was wanting to walk with God. He was wanting to experience God's blessing in his life. And he's like, Robert, what does that mean when Jesus said, what, what does that mean he was struggling? What does it mean when Jesus said, you know, forgive us as, our debts, as we forgive others? And I told him, hey, it means that Jesus will forgive you as you forgive other people. I'm smart, aren't I? Like, you got to go to seminary to learn that. You got to know the Greek to learn that. But man, Jesus is saying that, but let's be right with our theology. Here's what he's not saying. This is really important. He's not saying God forgives you because you forgive other people. It's not earn it. He's not saying God forgives you because you. He's saying God forgives you so that you can forgive other people. So you walk in that. You walk in that forgiveness. I was reading this week that uh, those of you who depend on email, sending email, working, whether you're working from home or the office or some hybrid model, but the most read and remembered part of an email, do you know this? The most read and remembered part of any email is the PS, survey show. Jesus, in the world's most prayed prayer in human history, gives a PS to this prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Jesus, you've kind of already said that. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Jesus is saying here, here's a P.S., and it really matters. So what happens if you don't forgive? No doubt about it, with a lot of people here today and others online, there's no doubt about it that we've got folks here today that are struggling to forgive somebody. So what happens when we don't forgive? What happens when there's an unforgiving spirit in this place or any place or your place when you go home? What happens? You know, if you live in a 4,000-square-foot house and there's unforgiveness, it's going to feel like 400 square feet. The walls close in, don't they? Let me give you a few ideas here. The first is that it disgraces our Father. When you are unwilling to forgive, it disgraces our Father. John 17, here in Matthew 6, he says, pray this prayer. Luke 11, pray this prayer, our Father. And in John 17, he went to the Father. And he said, Father, make them one so that the world may believe. Father, it brings you honor when your people are one. It's not sameness. It's not cookie-cutter conformity. I say that often. It's, it's you being who you are and me being who we are. But we find out what's essential. We follow the essence of who Jesus is. And we come together and learn and we forgive and forbear. And we don't walk out and we don't discard relationships uh, we don't leave so easily. We stick it out and we forgive. And we dis- it disgraces our Father if you have an unforgiving spirit. The second thing, besides disgracing our Father, is it discourages the saints. Doesn't it break your heart? Someone came and talked to me. Um, actually, I went to them. They called me over and said, hey, let's talk. And, and their, their burden was that their, their now grown children... Uh, didn't want anything to do with not just church, but in, in many ways, even with them, at least not in a, a close way. And as I, 
ask them questions. It, it was just like the perfunctory sort of call when they need something or occasionally. And the, the emotion and the love didn't seem to be apparent. And they were hurting badly. And I sat with them in their hurt. But I know this family story, and I know that they lived next door to parents, and they had another ones across the street, which is probably part of their problem, right? But they, they stopped talking to each other, and this, this uh, grown adult, parents of kids, wouldn't speak to their, their, their in-laws or their parent. And there, there was all this uh, rivalry, and it just, it just shut down. It just shut down. And I can tell you that nobody wants to be part of that. Like, is that a home you want to go to? <laughs> Is, is, is that, is that going to make you want to follow Jesus more? It discourages the saints. You're not going to want to come here. If you walk into a new small group, you check one out that we have this fall. We're going to be offering a bunch of them. And you go into a, a small group and you notice some people know each other and they're not getting along and they're not forgiving each other, you'll be discouraged. In fact, remember the, the command of Scripture is to build one another up. There's enough tearing down going on, and unforgiveness tears down the relationship. Edify one another. In fact, it says that preachers ought to preach, and teachers ought to teach. Leaders ought to lead so that you would be equipped. All of you, if you're in Christ, all of you would be equipped to do the work of the ministry. And the goal here is not for preachers to become famous or popular or loved by people. The, the goal is for us to see you grow in Christ and edify the church. And as you edify the church, as you're built up in maturity, listen, here's what mature people do. They forgive. They say, bro, let's talk. Hey, you know, you're saying something about so-and-so. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm not going to assume the worst. I'm going to believe the best. And let's get together and let's talk about the chasm that we're experiencing. And let's work it through. It's discouraging when there's relationships that aren't reconciled. A third thing besides uh, what we've talked about, it disgusts the lost. Like a world didn't want to be a part of that. Years ago uh, when I was single and it was early and I lived in uh, Miami, Florida and I had one of my best friends. He would stand as a groomsman in our wedding a couple years later. His name was Ian Whitfield. Ian was from Vancouver, British Columbia. I lived in Coral Gables, Florida. He was in Vancouver, British Columbia, the Pacific Northwest and the extreme Southeast. And I was so excited after a summer we had together in a study intensive called the Ethics Institute. I was so excited to bring Ian to South Florida to come see me one weekend. And when he came, I had the trip all planned, big buddies. And I said, oh yeah, you got to see Miami. And when he came, that Will Smith song was out, and we were playing Will Smith, Welcome to Miami. And it was really cool. And Ian came, and um, we, I took him to the Orange Bowl. I was like, man, you got to come to a, a game. And this was back when uh, any sports fan, when Miami was good. In fact, it wasn't long after their dominance of, and players like Dwayne Johnson, who would go on to be The Rock, and Ray Lewis, and Warren, all these guys were playing in that season. I was like, Ian, you got to come with me to the Orange Bowl. And we went to the game, and Miami was playing Syracuse. And there started to be a rumble in the stands. They served alcohol even way back then. And there was a rumble in the stands. And then we noticed a fight. And, and I like to see a good fight occasionally. And so I just kind of peeked up over. And, and then the fight was coming more. To, and then there was more people fighting and more people fighting. And the fight, kind of like the wave, was coming, kind of coming at us. And it, it got pretty dangerous. And there was like broken glass and fisticuffs and angry altercations. And it got right on us. And honestly, it was just embarrassing. It was troubling. Like not a cool thing to see. Uh, and I, you just, I just left thinking, man, everybody just needs to get a shower that went to that game. Kind of like today, it's so humid, you'll need another shower, not just the one you took before you came to church. But listen, it dis I was so disgusted, I wouldn't want him back to that. 
And can I just say, when it comes to being a family, like, you want to bring people here. You want to bring people into your home. You know, there's that gift of hospitality where coming out of the pandemic, open up your home. Everybody's anxious to get people back to church. I am too. But like, what about your home? Invite people in and share hospitality and get to know each other and love each other. Look, it disgusts people when we don't get along well. Are you building people up and forgiving and forbearing? Are you quickly discarding and moving on and carrying resentment? in your life a final thing that I would say is it delights the devil we think the enemy wants to attack us well the church doesn't have enough money church doesn't have enough people church doesn't have enough programs this doesn't have I mean if he can get us fighting he wins if he can take what's natural and normal because we're not going to get along all the time we're not going to see things eye to eye and he can take that and exploit it it delights him he takes great delight in that so let me ask you today how has God forgiven you? Because most of y'all said amen really loud. I kind of coached you, but most of you said amen. How has God forgiven you? Let me, let me share with you biblically how God has forgiven you. First of all, he's forgiven you. Oh, yeah, let's go. Matthew 18. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Peter's like saying, um, I think we all feel this. When is enough enough? And maybe you have a enough is enough, when is enough enough relationship right now. Someone keeps bumping you and they're offending you and you're like, when is enough enough? And Peter had that question. So he offers really a, a generous thing because see in the culture, it still exists in some Middle Eastern cultures today. It was sort of a three strikes and you're out, three offenses and the relationship is severed. And so Peter takes that and doubles it and adds one and says seven times because he knew Jesus was like really loving but he didn't know the answer. So Jesus responds next, and he says to Peter, he says, Jesus, he says I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. So that's kind of weird, isn't it? Like, because some of y'all got some relationships, you're like, all right, two more. <laughs> got the verse, right? You ready? Matthew 18, 22, got the verse. Jesus tells a story he did it better than anybody. He tells a story to bring meaning to what he was saying. And he says, he tells a story about these two servants. Let's call them, I'm real creative. Let's call them servant one and servant two. And servant one owed Jesus in his story here. It is, he owed him 10,000 talents. And I know many of you might have skipped first century currencies. So I did in high school. So I figured I did the work for you. One talent is 6,000 denarii. One denarius is one day's wage. One talent is 6,000 days' wages. So that means in this story, the wicked servant, or I'm sorry, the servant number one who owed 10,000 talents to his king, that means he owed 60 million days' wages. In other words, he's never going to be able to repay it. You ever, ever, somebody ever done something awesome for you? You're like, how can I, I'll never be able to repay you. And it's like a, cliche or whatever it's hyperbole but literally the math in Jesus story would say he's never going to be able to repay him but what does the king do in Jesus's story forgives him doesn't he he falls at his feet hey I, I, I cannot repay you you're forgiven and in the story that Jesus tells listen to me today we're about to close in the story that Jesus says there's another servant we're calling him servant number two and he only owes just a few days wages not not 60 million just a few days wages and he is unwilling to forgive the servant he's unwilling to forgive that first servant 
He takes him, in fact, in Jesus' story, he takes him and he chokes him and he throws him in prison. And the king hears about it and is like, hey, what is going on? You have, forgiven, you have been forgiven so much. Why haven't you forgiven? And I think we can all find ourselves at times in that story. Spiritual pride sets in the routine, the monotony of life, the dullness of it all. And we start thinking, no, we're, we're good and we're spiritual. In fact, if you've been hanging around church a while, you got to be very careful. Can I say it in love? If you're a crusty Christian church attender, you got to be very careful. Because let me tell you, you are broken and sinful and God's grace has appeared to you, bringing you new life, and we better appreciate it. So how has God forgiven you? A few things quickly. Uh, he's forgiven you um, instantly. He's forgiven you instantly. Check out this passage. It's from the old Isaiah. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts, even your thoughts, even your intentions. Let them turn to the Lord. That's what the Bible calls repentance. And he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. God so wants to forgive. There are no hoops to jump through. There's no bureaucracy. There's not a, a tummy rub or calisthenics or a running around the church seven times. God willingly forgives. Not only does he uh, forgive instantly. How has he forgiven you? He's forgiven you repeatedly. Another way that he's forgiven you beyond instantly, repeatedly is this. He's He's forgiven you, coming up, drum roll, forgetfully. He's forgiven you forgetfully. This is a funny passage in Jeremiah 33 and verse 31. It puts it this way. Uh, no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And some of you think, well, God is omniscient. How can he forget anything? Isn't it kind of cool how God throws this at us just to trouble us a little bit? Just to vex us and make us think, man, we'll never fully understand God. But Jeremiah is saying, hey, listen, you know, because we keep a scorecard. And we tally the results and see, we see where we are with each other. Because if you're in deficit, I got to treat you badly. If you're in surplus, okay, well, all right, I can work with you here. I can be nice to you, but God forgives us instantly, repeatedly, forgetfully. He forgives us completely. He can help us restore the joy of salvation. The final thing about forgiveness that I want to say this morning is to change your emotion, you have to change your devotion. Everybody here today has or will be in a situation where, like, man, I've been hurt. Uh, they deserted me, they betrayed me, they inflicted some pain on me. I'm not feeling like I should forgive. But I will tell you a personal story. Not that long ago, uh, someone hurt me, and part of what they did to hurt me was to try to uh, speak badly against me, to try to say things that weren't true about me, to exaggerate things and to misspeak and to, to gossip. And I was hurt by it. And my wife and my, one of my pastor friends said, Robert, don't worry about it. And that seemed to be so trite. It seemed to be uh, so empty to me. Don't worry about it. I really didn't want to get that from my wife. But 
what they were saying to me was wise, even though I didn't feel it. Like sometimes you can come to church and the preacher can say something hard, but it's like what you need, even though like you're offended, you don't feel it in the moment. And I didn't feel that in the moment, but as I began to pray to my father, he was telling me, and there was emotion involved in this for me, but he was telling me to dethrone my reputation, right? And what was happening is this one, don't, don't worry about this guy. Don't worry about the damage. Uh, my wife and my pastor friend, Robert, take the high road. Take the high road. You just take the high road and God has got your back. But I had emotion and I wanted to, I wanted, I wanted this. But God helped me by dethroning my reputation. I'm not here to have everybody like me. I'm not here to have everybody um, follow me or say great things about me. I need to, I need to let go of that. And as I let go of that, began it was wasn't instant, that wasn't instantaneous, but it was a process, and it still in some ways exists in my heart today. But as I as I changed that emotion, or I'm sorry, as I changed my devotion, that emotion follows that, and that's what happened to me. So what could it be for you? Real quick, real quick. There's a passage in Second Timothy chapter four, and it says this as our team begins to come up. This is Paul. Let me give you context. This is Paul. And he's talking about, because these are important principles of forgiveness. I want you to follow me here real quick. He says this, Alexander, the metal worker, did a great deal, did me a great deal of harm. Now, when he says Alexander, the metal worker, he probably doesn't know him that well. I don't know everything, but if, if I, you know, if I know Jimmy, I'm not going to say Jimmy the doctor. I just know Jimmy. Jimmy's a friend. I'm just going to say Jimmy. When I say Jimmy at the house, they know it's Jimmy. I don't say Jimmy the doctor because I'm friends with him. I don't say Lanny the lawyer. Lanny is my friend. I just say Lanny. And Alexander, he says, Alexander the metal worker, he didn't know him that well. So he's telling people who he is. He did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. Here's what he did. He acknowledges the hurt, and you've got to acknowledge the hurt. If you want to walk with less guilt and less resentment, you have to acknowledge the hurt. But he releases it to the Lord. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. Now you can take that down there. I just want to get that part. We're out of time. But here's what Paul's doing. He's acknowledging the hurt. He's releasing it to God. And then he's saying, you know what? We need to have appropriate boundaries set because I'm not sure this guy can be trusted. So today, I'm not asking you to forgive, 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 and let somebody walk all over you. I never would do that. Some preachers will do that. They'll twist some passages and tell you to stay in a toxic relationship. I won't do that. You will need, some of you, this may minister to you today, you may need to acknowledge the hurt. I know you do. You need to release it to the Lord. Yes, you do. But you may need to set appropriate boundaries so that person doesn't hurt you again because all the people that you forgive, they can't necessarily be trusted. Don't you love that? Man, I love that. He, he would go on to say, he'd go on to say, hey, there were people that, that knew me and loved me and they weren't there when I needed them the most. That's the hardest thing, isn't it? Paul had to stand alone and only him and the Lord. The people that knew him the most didn't, 2 Timothy 4, read that. Stand with me. So today, what resentment toward another, what guilt do you hold? Forgive us. Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors.